Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your host today, TJ Van Toll, and with me on the panel is Paige Nietzschehaus. Hey, everyone. And Jack Harrington. Hello, everybody. This episode is sponsored by Sentry. Sentry is the thing that I put into all of my apps. First, I figure out how to deploy them. I get them up on the web. Then I run Sentry on them. And the reason why is because I need to know what's going on in my app all the time. Yeah, I'm kind of a control freak. What can I say? The other reason is, is that sometimes I miss stuff or I run things in development, you know, it works on my machine. We've all been there, right? And then it gets up in the cloud or up on a server and stuff happens and stuff breaks, right? I didn't configure it right. I'm an idiot and I didn't put the AWS credential in. I didn't do that last week, right? That wasn't me. Anyway, I need that error reported back. Hey, Chuck, I can't connect to AWS. The other thing is, is that this is something that my users often will give me information on, and that's, hey, it's too slow, it's not performing right. And I need to know it's slowing down because I don't want them going off to Twitter when they're supposed to be using my app. And so they need to tell me it's not fast enough, and Sentry does that, right? I put Sentry in, it gives me all the performance data, and I can go, hey, that takes three seconds to load, that's way too long, and I can go in and I can fix those issues, and then I'm not losing users to Twitter. So. If you have an app that's running slow, if you have an app that's having errors, or if you just have an app that you're getting started with and you want to make sure that it's running properly all the time, then go check it out. They support all major languages and frameworks. They recently added support for Next.js, which is cool. Visit sentry.io slash signup and use promo code REACTROUNDUP. That's all one word, REACTROUNDUP, for three free months of their base team plan. All right, we are doing another panel episode today, and we've got a, a totally not controversial topic. We wanted to keep it nice and nice and steady. We're going to go with Tailwind and Utility CSS. And <laughs> I think this one is, the internet likes to have opinions on it. We've, we've chatted a little bit. We have some opinions as well. But I think just to start by introing for people that are not familiar with Tailwind or not utility for CSS, it's a concept that I, I'll take a stab at it, and then you two can chime in and tell me, help clarify it. But it's essentially, instead of, writing CSS in just like a straight up, almost like uh, using the cascade. Utility for CSS is, I consider it like just basically using a bunch of class names. So if you wanted to underline some text in your div or whatever, instead of going into a CSS file and saying like my div and text decoration underline, whatever, instead with utility for CSS, you would take that div and apply a class name that's something like text underline or whatever, right? Different frameworks have different ways of approaching this. And that's sort of the utility first approach. And Tailwind is a library that's, the, I'd say, the easily the most popular, just specific implementation of this. So Tailwind is, I believe it's a, a company, it's a handful of people that work on it. I'm not super familiar with who is Tailwind, but it's just a popular library that has a bunch of these class names. It's gotten really popular. A lot of people use it. And different people think it's good or bad. I don't know. Any anything to clarify? Was that a decent enough intro? Yeah, I think the library is the CSS library is free. I think they do charge for some components to go on top of it. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I've recently been looking into Tailwind a little bit more, and they do have a component library, which I guess is their answer to something like Kendo or Material or Re or uh, Ant Design, but it is cost. But if you, you know, if you really want to rapidly prototype and you are fine with kind of going with the default styles that Tailwind promotes, then it could be a great solution for you and your company to, to get something going quick and be relatively confident that it will look 
pretty consistent across the application, which is always a big challenge, I think, for any growing application, especially. Jack, maybe you can kick us off here because I know you've used Tailwind in some real world biggish apps. So I'm curious, maybe you could start us up with your opinions and how it's changed over time. Yeah. So I actually started off with a Tailwind kind of thing, utility first kind of thing at Nike. And it was interesting because my initial take on it was sort of negative. We kind of were wanting to go for something that was much more canned. You know, you have a standardized button and that sort of stuff. Whereas utility first being what it is, is sort of you construct things out of these classes. So if you like have have a button, right, your class name on a button is probably going to have like at least eight or so small classes in there for margin and padding and border and hover state and all that sort of stuff. And it just kind of looks a little messy, but you can kind of componentize that. And so we did there. And then at the new job that I'm at, we have used Tailwind actually really successfully, both in an electron context and in a just a basic web context. And it is really, really handy. And if all you want to do is just move this thing over a little bit or make it a little bit larger and make the text a little bit larger or something like that, it's just, it's so quick to be able to just say, hey, I want the the font color in gray, 50%, whatever. Or you want it in, you know, you want a, a one rem padding as opposed to a 0.5 rem padding. It's just super quick, just be able to just go and make a, a small change to a class name. And then I've also worked with Fower and Chakra, which we can talk about, which are kind of re- more reacty, less you know, CSS native sort of solutions as well. Yeah, I think one of the biggest complaints from utility first CSS that I've run into, and I know others have as well, is that because it encourages you to apply a lot of these like really granular class names that things can get cluttered pretty quickly. I'm wondering like, cause you've, I'm sure you've used it as a larger scale than I have. Like, can you keep things from being a mess? Like in a real world app and a real world component, is it chaos? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure. You absolutely can. You basically wrap your, your, let's say you want a button and it's going to be your, I guess, uh, okay button, right? It's always going to be, I don't know, the green or whatever it is. And you want to reuse that everywhere. That okay button is going to encapsulate those classes and essentially hide them from you. So it's going to look just like a, the usual material UI, you know, button that's, you know, skinned however you want it to be so that you can definitely hide the complexity down in your shared component library. And then all you're going to see in terms of actual impact or tailwind might be as you're setting up your page, you might have like a, a grid class name, which would bring in display grid and then a number of columns to kind of lay out the columns. And so you see that, but that's, I don't know. I don't think that's super cluttered. And I, I definitely, once you get into it, you definitely find that you can kind of read those class names out a lot easier. I guess what you're saying is that as long as you're willing to do a little bit of maybe extra componentization, which is usually what React and lends itself to anyway, and kind of break down those elements that you would already be including into a larger component layout or maybe a full page, depending on how big the the ask is, Tailwind works fine, which seems fair. I mean, if you were using something like styled components, you'd probably want to do the same thing so that all the styles aren't all jammed into one file. Or with with CSS, which is what my team uses, we have individual SCSS pages that are SAS pages that we just import into our smaller components. But to me, from the little bit that I've used Tailwind, and I've not used it in a large capacity at all, it just seems like it gets 
messier than I would like it. It seems like it would be harder for me at a glance to be able to look at it and know all the things that are being applied, especially if I don't, if I'm not really familiar with the classes and what text underline means or how, how to work with Tailwind. So I guess a question for me would be what, what's the learning curve like when you were getting used to it? Cause it seems like a pretty decent departure from what we might be used to in terms of traditional CSS. I think the learning curve is actually okay. As long as you use, there's a VS code extension specifically for tailwind, actually, that when you bring up, you know, VG dash, you know, it, that's background color. And then you type in, I don't know, P and it, it'll come up with purple. And then you'll literally see like a drop down of all the different variants of purple that you can select from. You can kind of scroll down and select, okay, I want, you know, a 700, which is maybe 70% purple, I guess, whatever that is. And so it actually makes it pretty easy. And then when you, you know, for padding and stuff, when you just type in like the font size, you know, it, it'll actually hint you like, this is actually going to turn into three, six point or whatever. So it's really easy, really nice and friendly that way. And that was one of the things that really helped me learn it pretty quickly was that that solid integration. I totally agree with you when it comes to the class names do get cluttered. And if I was going to use it just as is without something like a twin macro, which actually does some bundling for you, I would go with using like a CLSX. I don't know, there's a, a library called CLSX that basically allows you to kind of conditionally, e very easily build out a class name where you can just say, okay, I always want these, but I only want a border two when this is true and I only want this when that happens. And then it's, it's pretty literate. You kind of see it right there and you're like, oh, I get it. Okay, so if this property is true, then we apply that class. And if we, this property is true, then we apply that class. Whereas if you just use like a, a string template, it does get like really grody to look at. That sounds familiar to one that we use called class names, where it's yeah. just, it's very conditional and you can continuously add or subtract extra classes based on state. Yeah, I, I only recommend CLSX. I think that Material has that built in. So you happen to be using that as well. I don't know why you use both, but you, know, you, you get that for free kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But class names is also awesome. Yeah. To me, the, the real benefit, I, I think why this approach has gotten popular is because, I mean, traditionally developers kind of hate maintaining CSS. I think that's one thing that unites most of us. And I think what makes it challenging is, so let's say we'll go back to our div example, right? And we have underlying text. With utility for CSS, I look at my markup and I immediately know where that underline is coming from. Whereas with CSS, I might have to hunt that down. And there are certainly ways of doing that, right? There's all sorts of CSS paradigms, right? Like I could have a corresponding, as Paige mentioned, like a corresponding SCSS file or CSS file where I could find that. But that it, that re relies on a certain amount of developers like staying on the same page and having some very strict and rigorous standards and adhering to that so that you can connect the dots between your markup and CSS. Whereas utility first CSS is kind of like, like, yeah, like that doing that is hard. It might fall apart. It's it's sort of air prone. So instead, let's just just dump it right in here, right? So that if you're if a developer comes and looks in this file, they don't have to hunt down where some of these styles are coming from. It's very explicit. And so I've sort of come around because at first with Tailwind Utility First CSS, I was very like old school, like this, this stuff does not, these random class names do not belong in my markup, right? Like I'm going to put this in CSS as God intended, right? And, <laughs> but I've, I, I've sort of come around to the fact that there are some benefits of seeing it just very straightforward. It's right there. 
It's easy to understand. It, it's debatably easier to maintain because new people coming into the project, they can see see things right there. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to be be convinced. It's all about developer experience. And if we have an entire you know episode of Silicon Valley that's dedicated to like spaces versus tabs, <laughs> right? <laughs> developer experience matters to folks. And yeah, like having that SCSS file that is you've got you're not your button.tsx and then your button.scsx scss next to it in the same directory and you got to scoot back and forth between these files to see how things are defined yeah i mean you can always say oh i can do it in this i can do it in that but that's the thing developer experience stuff like this actually matters and yeah having it all in one file is really cool and then also having folks out there that know tailwind and can kind of come into the project and don't know okay well on this project we name our classes this way right they just know okay mx Two is you you add a certain amount of padding to left and right or you know margin and there you go you know it's pretty easy to follow. I do worry a bit about um, have you ever had to do any sort of refactoring with a utility first approach because the one cool thing about I mean with CSS you can just change all things with this class name for your entire app on the fly right but my gut says with Tailwind that would be a lot harder because all of a sudden now if you wanted to refactor something you had to you have to consider all the various permutations of random class names and paddings and margins that were applied all throughout your app and it it would be harder to make like sweeping changes to to things throughout like an entire app or even like if you had some CSS that applied more globally, like this is how buttons should look throughout my organization. Like if people had the like ability to just apply class names all over the place, it seems like it might be harder to enforce some consistency when you did need to make changes. Your consistency is definitely going to be applied by the components, right? So you want to make sure that you have that button that is reused everywhere. And then when you make that change, that button, um, because you know, utility for CSS is basically supposed to be one CSS selector, one CSS property per class and it's just truth right mx2 you shouldn't be changing what mx2 like which would be margin x in both dimensions but you know at one rem or something like that you shouldn't change what that means globally the only additions you probably would want to make to the, the basic sort of tailwind set would be to add in like your standard fonts and colors if you wanted to go do that to make sure that like the accent color and then that's fine and when you see it hinted you can say like oh bg accent you know, at, at 500 and you get your accent, the accent color, and then we, you can kind of theme your app. So is there any like potential for, I guess, bad HTML writing? Because I'm thinking about like, if you can use Tailwind to apply button colors and sizes and things like that, could that potentially give developers more free reign to do things like make everything a div or not use HTML sections or articles or some of the semantics that we now want for accessibility reasons and just for better understanding and readability in general is it seems like maybe that would be a way for them to skirt around using the correct elements because they can just apply whatever styles they need to make it look and, and act the way that it should without without actually being very cognizant of what the HTML elements are. Definitely a danger for sure. Yeah. And there's, there is a lot of niceness being able to take a take a div and make it feel like a button. But yeah, for sure, for accessibility reasons and for everything else, you should have you should always use ARIA and always use access and use the correct elements. And but I don't think Tailwind necessarily gets in the way of that. Yeah, I think that's why there's sometimes a negative reaction is because avoiding inline styles is like one of the like 
10 commandments of web development that's been around since like the 90s right and with with tailwind it almost feels like it's sanctioning that a little bit because i mean honestly what's the difference between class equals text underline and style text decoration underline right like semantically as i look at my code it certainly looks pretty much the same uh, so i imagine like with tailwind you'd still need to have some like almost like some guardrails in place in terms of things that people can or can't do like even though i'm totally kind of okay, like getting okay with certain facets of this like it would feel weird to me to have people applying like colors or background colors with class names because to me that fe really feels like something I'd want my own, like like you said, either like components or custom styles for doing, and it would feel weird to apply those with individual class names. The more that we talk about it, the more that the things that we're actually discussing sound like like team discussions. It's more like the people involved building the thing need to kind of define how they want the application to work. Because Tailwind... I can definitely see the the value in it and I can see the utility. It's easier to get started with. It's easier for everybody to be pretty consistent in how they how things should look and how things will will display. And then the things that we're talking about are like how do you want to use this utility that we're given to make so that our team understands what's going on, likes how it's being done, that the developer experience is good for us and it doesn't rub any of us the wrong way. <laughs> right. I, I just did a video on, on mono repos with NX and, and showing how to kind of re have an app and then have the a co a component library that you'd reuse between the different apps in that mono repo. And you should definitely have some rules, just like you said around like, okay, so these are the types of, classes that we expect to see used in the component layer, where that would be things like the background color and stuff like that. Whereas on at the application layer, we'd expect to see much more in the lines of like layout component, uh, layout classes, stuff like that. Oh, you, you want to apply Flexbox to something cool. You just class name equals flex. And that's pretty hard to make it easier than that. But yeah, you can definitely do that at the application layer and then say stylistically or by, I guess, however you want to put it, like by design, we would only have the components that you'd use everywhere, like the, your standard button, your standard drop down, that sort of stuff. That's where you'd use like the background color and the, all the other stuff that you we get in Tailwind. There's also Twin Macro, which is uh, if you are listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, I if, how are you going to have like 10 classes applied to everything? How is this efficient in the browser? Yada, yada. Uh, Twin Macro can do this thing where it actually sits on top of emotion or I think styled components as well. One of those. And It'll actually preload all of the classes for Tailwind. And then when you actually go in into Dev or Pride with it, uh, it'll congeal. Like if you have like five different classes, it'll just congeal all those into one class that's given a hash code name. And then it's really efficient. So if they match between you know, two buttons, right, you'll, you'll still reuse all those classes. And so you, you get that efficiency back, but you still have that fluency that you have that you want with that with Tailwind to be able to say, oh, I want a little extra padding here. I want a little whatever. That's very well, cool. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Please keep <laughs> telling us more. I want to hear more about this. <laughs> well, one other, one other thing I think is actually, and we just sort of, I haven't really thought about it until now, was responsive is really easy with Tailwind. If you wanted to go make something at the medium breakpoint, all you just do is say MD colon and whatever it is. If you want 
two a two column grid layout at the medium size and then at the small size it would be it would just be like md colon grid calls two you know and that would basically say for at the medium breakpoint above make it two columns everything else is one column and it just boom like that and as opposed to like looking over at scss and saying oh well there's a media selector in here and all that md colon is a lot more fluent to me yeah that's actually that's a great question that you've kind of segued into i was wondering about how tailwind or a css utility might work with something like responsive design since that is just more and more an important application or an important piece of most applications is how in in traditional css we have media queries is typically what we would use so how how do you I guess there are, I've seen some wrappers, especially for React in particular, where you can insert it into the JSX and then it will say, hey, if the break, if the screen or the viewport size is above a certain amount, then I will use this component as opposed to another component. But if you wanted to reuse the same component for each and you just needed to, like you say, split it from two columns to three or maybe just change the max width or something, how how does that work with with something like Tailwind? Yeah, you just add on the the, the prefix. Uh, <laughs> so SM would be that small breakpoint, MD, large, you know, medium breakpoint, LG, the larger breakpoint. And you can apply that to anything. You can make it, oh, in medium size, you want it to hover, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. It's it's very flexible in terms of like, oh, I want I want larger fonts on a larger screen. No problem. Yeah, but like this also gets into some of my concerns because that means a, that's yet more class names, right? Because if you're setting multiple breakpoints and also like you might have, I mean, it's not unrealistic for a big app to have four or five different breakpoints, right? That you want things to happen at. So if you need different things to happen at different breakpoints, like you're adding some clutter. And actually another concern that this made me think of is I wonder how, because Tailwind doesn't have class names for everything, right? Like there's class names for the common stuff you'd want to do. You want to set flex box margin padding, but there's like, I think like 720 different things you could do with CSS, right? Like you're not setting a full animation and configuring it th- through Tailwind. So is there some concern of like... Actually, you know, oh, you can't. <laughs> there are you actually can't. a lot of the standard animations are built in, but you're right. If you want to do like breakpoint or like keyframes in an animation, then you're going to have to have some sort of, you're probably in a real app, you're going to have to have like an SCSS underlying this where you can go and make like those very granular changes. But to walk you off the edge about the whole like, oh my God, there's so <laughs> many classes here, ah, kind of thing. The Tailwind configuration, the Tailwind site has a whole section on like doing optimization around this so that you only actually put into production the classes that you use. And that twin macro that I talked about is essentially exactly that. Like it's a motion. And so you'll actually only will ever have those the classes that you use. So yeah, the the if, if you're using it super naively, sure. You can create a, a Tailwind CSS, which is huge, and then you have a lot of selectors, but you know, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates, and I had more work than I could handle. 
If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire. They're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. I, my concern is is not so much the the bundle costs, right? Shipping all these class names, but more the development cost of like mentally parsing the HTML. And because I think we're already writing, like, I don't know about both of your production HTML files, but they get to be a mess, right? Like with, without Tailwind, there's a lot of divs, there's a lot of crap. And so my concern is like now, if all of a sudden all of these these files have like five or six things and like mentally parsing this and figuring out where I am gets just that little bit harder because my HTML doesn't need more stuff in it per se. <laughs> I'm going to hope that you've got something like prettier, which is helping do code formatting. Cause I have a feeling that if you had enough classes from Tailwind, it would kind of format it so that they're kind of in line, which would make it a little bit easier. But I agree with you. That's, that's definitely a concern. We have some very large, very complex components that only seem to get larger and more complex <laughs> as time goes on. And, and having to keep track of all the Tailwind styles. Plus, I don't know about you, but we definitely have CSS that's overriding other CSS that's undoing other CSS and it just kind of builds and snowballs on top of each other. And I, I would be a little bit concerned, at least initially starting off with Tailwind, of accidentally impacting another class that I had also added via Tailwind or having them collide in some un, un, unexpected way. <laughs> I think if you bring it on to an existing project, you're definitely going to potentially have issues like that. Although, I mean, the the Tailwind classes are, are kind of unique on their own, right? They don't have ML-2, right? It's unlikely that in your, your regular app, you would have written ML-2 as a class name. But yeah, it would be challenging for that. I don't think if you, in the app that I'm on currently, we only, we exclusively use Tailwind for 95% of stuff. We have a few custom classes here and there, and they're clearly visible in the class name that like, oh, that's that's that class name, you know, that's not a Tailwind class name. And so you know to go looking for it. Uh, but there's no collision issues around Tailwind kind of messing itself up because you're just applying it to its own sort of class there. Yeah, and I think this is, a, it's a CSS problem in general because like you don't need Tailwind to have CSS conflicts, right? Like it's like the, that's sort of the, the nature of the beast. And also kind of what Tailwind tries to help solve a little bit because I imagine if you are, relying on class names for a lot of stuff, there's just less CSS in general flying out there. So there's less potential points for things to be overriding each other because less is being, I guess, like globally applied, probably. Now that we talk about it, it seems like we've got an evolution of things that happen happened here, right? CSS, which is cascading style sheets, and people have used and we started off with that. And that's really great. It feels like Word. You know, you can make a style and it, it applies and cascades. And, and then people are like, at scale, that's actually not so great. That's it's doing things that are weird. And I'm having to put bang important on a lot of stuff. And this is not ending up well. So we ended up with like ideas like smocks, I think was one where it was like modular CSS and trying to namespace ourselves away from things and going more to a namespaced approach. And this seems like the natural next step of that, which is, okay, we really don't, we just want to go and 
take a bunch of classes and just kind of sort of stick them together. We don't really care about any of the cascading stuff anymore. That's just like, that's just part of the name and we just don't use it anymore. Yeah, part of me, because there's like Smacks, there's OS, CSS, like object or in CSS. There's like, people have written some incredibly formal guides to this. But what I found in like, I don't, there's multiple different ways you can interpret this, but like front-end developers are just not good at doing that with CSS. And I don't know if, it's because like for better or worse, CSS is not given the same sort of treatment in terms of code quality and such that people put into their JavaScript code. And I don't know necessarily know why that's the case. Like if people just take it less seriously. And I think because of that, like I've never really been in a project where people really commit to 100% being like, we're gonna follow object-oriented CSS absolutely to a T, we're going to enforce it perfectly. That never seems to happen. But in the JavaScript world, that can absolutely happen, right? Like you'll 100% enforce like some very specific guidelines and procedures, and we're going to unit test all of this and be very rigorous around it. But I think like, because that's less of a thing in the CSS world, that's like led to things like Tailwind. It's like meeting developers where they're at and saying, this is just sort of a pragmatic approach to dealing with CSS at scale in a way that people will actually do and follow. Yeah, I, some projects have done fairly, I think when you said that, I was thinking about like a WordPress or Drupal or those sort of you know, things where because they're kind of a modular system, like they, they, they specify the APIs for the modules in JS or PHP, I guess, whatever. But they also specified that in terms of CSS, we want you to lay it out this way so that they play nicely with all the other pieces of CSS on the page. But yeah, it's just one team at, at a company making stuff for itself. Yeah, it's gonna be like, oh, this, you know, this smacks. Yeah, sure. Why not? Whatever, <laughs> you know, and then there, you know, you kind of go off the rails with it. And yeah, right at the end of the day, like, what's the worst thing that can happen when CSS breaks, I guess the layout breaks, and the, you know, it's not, you're not getting the right font or whatever, which is bad, clearly, but it's not like it's not it's not blowing up the the person's computer. Yeah. Well, and the other approach too that we haven't really touched on, but there's the whole like, so with web components, there's the shadow DOM that's going to try to like essentially isolate your CSS so that it only applies to whatever component you're writing, right? It creates like sort of a, a barrier, which that was an approach that's sort of aiming to take on the same problem, right? Like you're trying to keep global CSS from coming in. And there's also different frameworks. Like I know Angular by default will scope CSS on components. So it'll make any CSS that you write that's associated with that component just scoped to that. It won't, it won't yep. sort of let it out outside of that. And same thing um, with Vue. Yeah, Vue has that approach. And with React, you can do you can do it with React as well. I'm brain farting on this specific technique. <laughs> technique to use, but and those can work as as well. I mean, I've I know I've written Angular apps with that that have that have worked quite well and I, I actually don't know if tailwind is popular in the angular world as well or if there's less of a demand hmm. because of the approach angular takes not sure yeah i don't know actually manfred steyer we could probably maybe ask him about i, I know he's big in the in the angular world maybe ask him what how tailwind's doing out there although he's more at the kind of the architecture sort of level of big apps talking to each other sort of thing yeah i know like um, this like the state of js survey like Tailwind does, like Tailwind, we should also mention Tailwind is doing very well, just in terms of yeah. like, I could say that anecdotally and like numerically, because on surveys and such, like, so we know there's something behind it. Like people like this approach, just like 
straight numbers, it's it's doing quite well. So certainly there is something there that people like using. Yeah. And I mean, we haven't talked much about the the kind of stuff that could potentially sit on top of that. Or and if you're looking for more of a React component style thing, there is a great library called Chakra that has hints of this. You can it has like a preformatted button that looks really good and it supports theming and all that. But you can also on uh, when you use a button, say like ML equals five, and you add a little bit of margin to the left hand side, so margin and left. And it just makes it really easy to sort of lay out components and extend a little bit the components that you have. And then if you don't like their styles and the kind of canned components, there's another library called Fower, which actually works, it has some interesting properties. It works on React Native as well. I thought that was kind of neat. And they have a similar sort of thing, but they don't have the canned components right out of the box. You're going to be building your button, you're going to be building up all of that stuff. So if that appeals to you, if you if you want to pay the the freight of building your own set of standard components, which depending on size of your company or whatever you may want to do or may not, uh, you can kind of pick between those two really valid options when it comes to React, I guess, alternatives to Tailwind. I don't think either of those sit on Tailwind, but they are Tailwind utility first styled, styling, yeah. I guess. It's interesting because like this, because I, I work on the Kendra React team, right? We make we make React components for people. So we we pay attention to this stuff a lot because for better or worse, like the way our components are written today, like it's very much the traditional CSS approach. And we we definitely have people that are asking for more granular ways of applying some of these styles. And it's interesting it's we we've seen firsthand how it can be hard to like retrofit that sort of approach like once you especially if you're in like a like some sort of a component library like you can't just make like a enormous <laughs> breaking change on the fly and you also can't really like support both approaches either like you kind of you're either utility first or you're not like you can't yeah, really as a library, you can't really support both approaches. So it's it's interesting because there's also a trend, like I, I believe the Tailwind team did this, like they have, I'm trying to remember the name off the top of my head, but they have some UI components that they are offering now that have no styling applied to them at all. So basically they're just providing the functionality. So they're like making the JavaScript code do its thing, uh, but they're saying by default, we're not applying any CSS to this just sort of recognizing that, hey, if we introduce CSS to this, this might be a problem for you because if you have to make this work and look right in your app, well, then you're going to be overriding some things. You're going to be tweaking it. So I sort of think that's interesting. And they've only got like a few components. So it's it's kind of like, I believe, like an experimental thing at this point. But it's going to be interesting to see where that goes and if that becomes more of a trend too. I'm going to try to find the the name of it. My initial visceral reaction to that is like, oh, what? That's insane. But on, honestly, though, wait a second. Hold up. So if if it, there was like a carousel, let's say there was a carousel, I don't know, React hook or basic component that was unstyled, but that had all of the responsiveness in it and the accessibility in it, then I think that could be really cool because actually that's what a lot of folks are looking for is something that has the, the functionality and the accessibility and all of the internationalization ability and all that, but they want to make it look their way. And so having like literally like, I guess almost like a headless or a skinless, if you want to put it that way, a variant of a component, actually, hmm, that does sound interesting. I'm, I, I want to read the show notes now and 
click on that link. Yeah, no, and I, I've got to find the, the name of it. But I, my only concern with that is I think that'll work great for them for buttons, like you said, carousels. But like for Kendo, we work on like the the not especially easy UI components, right? Like we were talking about a pivot grid earlier. Like we have a component that's like a, <laughs> that's like a Gantt chart and like all this stupid like enterprisey stuff. And like the thought of like offering that to someone completely unstyled is like complete craziness, right? Like no one no one wants like oh here's a Gantt chart that has no CSS applied. Uh, good luck, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, you know, I, I, my guess is that folks who are looking at Gantt charts aren't particularly fussed about, you know, the font sizes <laughs> and the colors and stuff like that. You know, yeah, I it's think not something you put on like a, you know, a slideshow, like look at this awesome <laughs> Gantt chart we've come up with. Yeah. You're looking around like, it's like, oh, that Gantt chart is nice, but I was looking for a little bit different shading in there. So I don't know. Like, <laughs> so I'm, I'm guessing the Kendo tagline isn't stupid enterprise components. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's not like a marketing approved messaging. I, <laughs> no, we're running an we're running an A B test on the site. You know, we're gonna see we're gonna see what the numbers say. But nice, it's bothering me though that I can't find the name of it. The maybe they're bad at SEO, but uh, I'll I'll track it down for the show notes for sure. There's so many things out there in this space. It's really tough to find what you want. So, is there anything else that we haven't discussed from this point about like Tailwind utility for CSS? If I went into some different like libraries, are there any like other similar approaches we we want to get into or anything that we've missed? I don't think so. Yeah, so. it seems it seems like we've done a pretty good job. I guess it really is gonna boil down to if you're coming onto an existing project, you know, try and and use whatever your team is already using and don't just go crazy introducing new stuff. And if you're and if you have the the beautiful opportunity to create something new just try and make those decisions as early on as possible so you can save yourself some headache later on when technical debt starts to rear its ugly head because it it definitely will at some point or other yeah i'd say like i I was gonna say like if i also in the case of if i'm an individual developer and i'm looking to kind of extend my my toolkit a little bit maybe resume build then the idea of, hey, if I'm binge watching some show, I'm just going to go and fire up Create React App and just try out Tailwind, you know, just give it a go, see if I can become familiar with it and then just kind of add it on to my resume. Yeah, I'll just echo what you two said, because I think it's like anything else, like if you're going to invest like a big project into it, try it out, maybe find like that, like fringe app at your company that you can just upgrade, try it out on, experiment with. It isn't important before you... uh put it in your like headline app that makes your company all the money and then just see how it goes and go from there. And uh, by the way, headless UI, which is an awesome name, mm-hmm. but because it's kind of, it's kind of fun, but I did find it. So there you go. Nice. Yeah. All right. Paige and I were talking about headless CMS mm-hmm. uh, yesterday. Yeah. So there's a lot of good headless stuff out there. <laughs> <laughs> headless browsers, headless end-to-end right. oh, runners. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we hit tailwind up here pretty good. So you know, try it out see what you think. I think we're ready to head into the picks. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Uh, Paige, you want to kick us off? 
Sure. So my pick today is going to be for an app and a, a smart garage door opener that we got recently. It's called MyQ. And it's it's all kinds of home automation beyond just garage doors that you can control with your phone. It's um, I think it's front doors and maybe cameras as well outside of your home, things like that. But what's kind of cool about this is MyQ actually integrates with Amazon. So if you have Amazon delivering packages to your house already, you can give the, the Amazon delivery driver access through this MyQ app to open your garage and put the packages inside. So if you have a neighborhood where maybe packages get stolen off your porch pretty regularly, which I think is a problem for a lot of people, this is a way to prevent that. And we got it, I don't know, maybe a month, month and a half ago. And my husband set it up initially on his phone. And then I finally got on board and got it on mine as well. And it's just really cool. You know, it tells you if your garage door is open, which is something that we tend to do from time to time, just forget to close it coming in or leaving. And as well as this integration with Amazon, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty neat. So I would definitely recommend that if you're getting into the home automation stuff at all, give this one a check. That's awesome. Very cool. Jack, do you have any picks? Sure. Well, I'm a huge fan of terrible movies. And so <laughs> imagine like a great Academy Award winning movie that's got great deep characters and rich plots and, you know, social impact and all that sort of stuff. Like, you know, this year's you know, Nomad Land and whatever. Imagine going 180 degrees from that and then driving about two hours and you'll find Willie's Wonderland with Nick Cage. It is the craziest movie I've seen in a while. Nick Cage doesn't speak a single line in the entire film. It's just nuts. And I kind of love where Nick Cage is taking his career into just complete bonkers insanity. So huge fan of that. And if you're if you're like me and you like bad movies. Definitely wanted to check out. You ever have you ever listened to the podcast? How did this get made? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's crazy. Yeah, it's good. I listen to it a lot, and it's it's basically like that's their shtick. Like they watch like bad or, or weird movies. Oh, right. And talk about yeah, 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 yeah. So okay, now it's yeah, kind of fun. Why it sounds familiar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds a little bit like Mystery Science Theater three thousand, but in the podcast version. <laughs> Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then for my pick, I'm going to pick The Last Dance, which is uh, it, it's not new. I think Netflix and ESPN worked together on this. And I, I think it came out like last year sometime, but I'm I'm behind on everything. It's a it's a documentary series that's essentially about the Chicago Bulls of the 90s. So it's nostalgia, like really hit home for me because I remember watching all of these back in the day. So it's a fun bit of nineties nostalgia. And if you're a basketball fan at all, it's, it's basically required watching. Cause it's, it's also Netflix ESPN, like incredibly high quality, just really well-produced and such, and just really entertaining. So if you like documentaries, was that the one where, roles, yeah, was that the one where uh, MJ played with a fever? Um, yeah. That was, well, that was in the the finals. Yeah. That was in the nuts. Area. Oh my gosh. I actually saw that. That was amazing. His performance there. Incredible. Yeah. I think about it sometimes anytime I'm like have a 101 <laughs> fever and like I'm like refusing to get out of bed and like asking people to bring things to me. And it's like, wow. <laughs> right. And Jordan's but, out there dropping threes. Yeah, like, like, I just want to get off the court. Just like, just go away now. <laughs> it's it's funny because I, I played one of the reasons I'm so I played basketball growing up as a kid pretty religiously. And I think everybody who did had a moment where you you come to terms with the fact that you're actually not gonna you're actually not very good and that there are people considerably better than you 
And it's funny, I got, I just remember getting to a level of basketball where I just got absolutely decimated by some kids that went on to play like college basketball. And then to realize like those people then again, got destroyed by another level of people. It really puts you in your place for just realizing how much effort and work goes into to getting to that level. It's kind of nuts. And the documentary captures that pretty well too. Well, cool. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. I enjoyed these conversations. We'll have to do this again. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. It's great seeing you guys. Yep. Thanks everybody for joining. And until next week. Yeah. See you next time. See you next time. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.